Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 132 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about iPads, the current state of the tablet in general, and the third edition of Tom's iPad in One Hour for Lawyers book. In this episode, we want to talk about a big idea for applying technology in some new ways. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, uh, we'll be talking about turning legal services into products, something often called productization. Uh, In our second segment, we'll discuss writing books about technology for lawyers and reach out to our audience to think about whether they might have a book inside of them. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main segment, and that's turning legal services into products or legal information into products. This is something that lots of other industries are already doing with their information. Some law firms are starting to take advantage of this, but I think in general, the legal profession really doesn't get this idea, at least not yet, at least not enough to really fully take advantage of it. Dennis, I know you wrote an article about productizing the law in the uh, July-August 2014 issue of Law Practice Magazine. It's also called The Big Ideas Issue. So those of you, if you haven't read that, please go and find a copy of it. It's a great, uh, great issue. Uh, what got you interested in this topic? And, uh, and what do you mean by productization? I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I, I sometimes say productization. I guess that might be, I sometimes feel like I have a little bit of Canadian flair when I say it. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's something I've been thinking about for a while because I think that when you, when you look at consulting, that there's always this this thought of saying, well, how can I turn some of the things I'm doing uh, that are repeatable and are actually forms of information, how can I turn those into products that I can sell so I can have royalty income in addition to to services in income? So I, I think the idea has always been out there in the sense of information products. And I've thought for a long time about whether lawyers can do uh, something similar to that. So when asked to do this article and given a fairly short time frame to get it done in, this seemed like a, a good one to take a look at. And then also I thought it reflected a, sort of the flip side of what we usually talk about technology in, in because usually you're talking about how can technology make lawyers more productive or help you uh, do what you're already doing better. This is sort of saying, how can I use technology to kind of create something new, to create new revenue streams and sort of apply technology in almost like the flip side of how we usually think of it. So that's sort of how I got to where I was going, Tom. So before we get into the actual technology part and discuss some examples and and, and what you mean by taking information, turning it into products, um, what I was thinking when I was reading your your article was, what's the premise? What's the premise behind your idea? I assume that part of that premise is that law firms have a lot of information that they either 
don't know how to monetize or they're not monetizing effectively, um, at least according to today's kind of evolving business models. Is that all there is to it? Or is there, are we looking, you know, are we aiming squarely at the billable hour and something like that? Well, I think that when I think in terms of the billable hour, we sort of think this way. So I really like a guy named Alan Wise who writes about consulting and, and uh, different approaches to professional services. And he's really big on saying that if you charge by the hour, you sort of have two constraints. So one is the amount that you can charge for the hour, and the other is like how many hours you can physically deliver in, in a year. And that's going to cap the income that you have. If you're able to create products or create royalty streams or other revenue streams, then you can exceed when you're just doing hours, uh, you know, hours times times rate. Um, so it is, I, I think, an adjunct to the billable hours as we start to say how many hours. Because I think lawyers are maxed out. Or, you know, you just can't bill more hours than what lawyers are are doing now. I mean, you just can't work more than you are. And clients are probably going to say that lawyers are about maxed out on what you can charge per hour. So you do need to look at different business models with that with that type of constraint. And so if you say, I'm already producing information that can be sold, um, then that offers this other way of producing revenue that may allow you to kind of increase the pie or, you know, make the pie bigger if you don't have those constraints that you have with billable hours. So it is a way to think about, uh, you know, billable hours as well as information products. But I, I sort of think that the products thing in and of itself is, is, is pretty interesting. So when you talk about products, let's. I think that there may be some people out there who are having trouble getting their minds around what you mean by product. So maybe giving a couple examples of what uh, companies in other industries are doing or maybe what some of the law firms that you're familiar with that are already taking advantage of this. Can you give us some examples of the types of products that people or that companies are, are creating that, uh, that, that, that kind of meet this new business model? Yeah, so the first one that, that always comes to mind for me is uh, Ernst & Young every year does a, a tax guide. And it, you can buy the book on Amazon. I bought it in a number of years whenever I had a you know an interesting tax question I had to, to work through. And it sort of you, you know looks at the new law, uh, capitalizes on research that they've done, um, and then puts it out as a book in a popular way. And, and when I when I checked when I wrote the article was uh, it was well up there on the on the list of uh, bestsellers on the tax topic so this is work that they've done the type of research that they do every year and and rather than just limiting it to their clients and charging by the hour for what that research that they do they're able to create a book and put it out there and sell it in a popular way. So that's one example of where you take um, sort of existing research or something that you do on a regular basis and you turn it into a book or you know something similar to a, book, a paid subscription, that sort of thing. Another one is, and I want to talk about it a little bit more later, but uh, one of my former law partners, Larry Katzenstein, created a program called Tiger Tables, which was a, set, a program that calculated actuarial factors you need to make certain gifts 
under the uh, estate and gift tax laws. And then he was able to sell that software as a standalone product to all sorts of people who weren't his clients, um, including the IRS, <laughs> and then use that because he became known for that program to actually that fed work back to him. But he was able to uh, obtain royalty income or revenue uh, from, from that program. So you can see how that could have application in apps. Uh, I've seen firms, or I, I've seen uh, you know, companies that want firms to create document assembly apps so they can do repeatable documents, say non-disclosure agreements, that sort of thing. And then also I see things where you could say if I'm in, especially in a consumer type practice or an estate planning practice where you say, hey, every time I, I talk to uh, clients, I say the same things. Well, can I turn that into a video that I sell? Or, you know, can I say, here's here's something about, you know, probate in Missouri. I create a video and sell that to people who might not become my clients. Um, and, and there could be other things like that, subscriptions, those sorts of things. So that's what I mean by information products. So I know that a lot of law firms have kind of jumped on the bandwagon, primarily big law firms, but some others have done it as well and created apps, either apps for your phone or for your iPad or just web apps, things that you can visit. I think that we saw them start mostly on law firm websites where uh, where you could go, where if you were the HR director of a company, you could go and, and answer some questions and, when it give you, and it would give you some basic advice based on employment law issues. And those tools for the most part were free. You may, for some of those, you had to be a client of the company. Now we're seeing lots of these apps that are coming out uh, free to provide information not only to consumers but to other people. That sounds like a use of firm information, their knowledge that they're sharing, but um, they're not really monetizing that. Is that is that part of this business model or are you thinking primarily of, of ways to license content and, and get it out there and, 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 and actually make money off of the content? Yeah, so it's going to take a step further. So in the past, I've talked about the freemium model, where and that's exactly what you're describing. So I've I come up with these things. It could be newsletters, it could be apps, it, you know, all sorts of you know different things that I talk video, all that sort of stuff. And you say, I put it out for free. Let people find it. So the example I said, here's a video telling you how to probate in the state in in Missouri. I don't charge anything for that, but people see that and then they hire me to do their services. And and so that's sort of what's called a freemium model. So by giving away something free, it results in, in revenue because I'm paid for services. This takes it to that next step that says what I'm rather than giving away for free, what I create is something that has value that people will understand and I can sell it for for some amount. Um, and again, look at the Ernst and, Ernst and Young thing, which I think is like a $29 book, but potentially a big market for that. Um, and you're just kind of unlocking the intellectual property that you've already created. But you're looking at it as a way to say, hey, this actually does produce revenue. So you could look at the same type of thing, analyze the audience, and say, in one case, you might say, this is something I'll put out for free with the idea that it kind of markets my service. Another where you say, if I put this out there, it's really not going to lead to much in the way of services, but it might you know, uh, create a revenue stream on its own. 
So as part of the article that you wrote, you're, you, you're kind of giving some advice on what firms or lawyers want to, who might want to get started on this, what they need to do. And you've got a, uh, I, would, I would say, ambitious nine-step approach to get started. I don't think we have time to cover all nine, and we're going we're gonna to link to the article um, in, the, uh, in, in the show notes uh, so people can go and read all of those if they need to. But what are some of the most important steps that you think you want to at least cover in the podcast today? Well, I, I think that it goes back to this notion I talk about in the article, is that, when, that lawyers don't ever like to look at what other people are doing, what the other professions are doing. And so if you come up with an idea for lawyers, they say, well, how many other firms are doing this or how many other lawyers are doing this? And rather than just saying, how successful has this idea been elsewhere? So that's that's one piece. One thing I say is to say you got to look and say what's what are other people doing? What might make sense? And that's why I tried to give a few examples in in the article. Uh, so I I do think you wanted to say well what's what's out there? You know maybe this won't work for me, but maybe I do have some things out there. And then you know it's typically you got to look look through and say, with with a kind of fresh eyes, say, what is it that I do, especially stuff that's repeatable, that has some value, that might have either an audience that's, you know, beyond what my client base is, or it's this type of thing that I do that I can't really charge for. I, I can only charge one client for, but I can't give the results to somebody else because you run into to those those types of issues of you know charging one client for work you've done for another. So I think you do that, and then you start to say, well, what, what are the products that I can create? Take a look at the market and uh, f- try some things. You know, there's that notion out there of, of fail fast, but, you know, try some things and see what works. Uh, you know, measure, uh, try some other things, uh, and, you know, don't, don't do things that spend a lot of time. I mean, we can talk about what you know what Larry Katz and I did with Tiger Tables, where you know he figured out something that you know we all sort of thought he was crazy, but he took uh, this sort of three huge volumes that the IRS put out of these mathematical factors, and you know, rather than just doing a spreadsheet to do this, you know, for each client, he figured out that he could learn the programming and put together something that was a calculator. And now you would do this as an app. It totally makes sense as an app. But he did it as a standalone program that he sold for a couple hundred dollars. And it replaced these three books. It made things really easy for people um, and so easy that the IRS started using it themselves rather than having people, you know, look through these these three volumes of stuff. So you can kind of look at things like that where you go, hey, I'm doing something that's really helpful to me, but it could be helpful to a lot of people. And so those are the types of things I think you want to you wanna look at. And then, then you got to look at the pricing and how you sell it and that sort of thing. So of the different steps that you mentioned, the only one that I want to maybe push back on a little bit, at least in terms of, 
the productization of services. I there are. I know that you and I have discussed the idea of taking a portfolio approach in many different contexts. You know, we've talked about that in terms of collaboration tools and making sure that you don't put all your eggs in one basket and only use one collaboration tool. Use tools for the things that make sense. Um, and I guess that my pushback on this is that this type of idea is something that's really very new and something that a lot of firms are going to feel uncomfortable about, you know, going all in, and and it would be to me there would the, the more logical or natural approach would be more of the testing the waters type thing, and it seems to go against your recommendation that you try to diversify your products, uh, which sounds to me like you're going to roll out a bunch of products at once, and and I I, I sort of I, I I'm, maybe I misunderstand that, and if I do, then tell me, but it sounds to, it sounds to me like the better approach is to to start with a product and see what works and then maybe go to the next product after that. But I think that when you're trying to roll out a product or a series of products, that trying to do too much at once, that could lead to failure just as much as anything else. Am I? Did I read you wrong there? Or did... No, I mean, your, your comment's a good one. I mean, I guess when I talk about portfolio approach and diversification, I'm trying to cover, you know, especially in print, I'm trying to cover, in this case, a lot of ideas in a limited space. So I sort of have two thoughts there. So one was I, I was trying to address the notion of as you get to, uh, you know, firms of sort of medium size and up, then you would want diversification from different groups or different, you know, different parts of the firm. So make sure that you don't say, oh, we're just just going to try because lawyers, you know, law firms like to do this a lot. Oh, we're going to try this, and just just the real estate people are going to do something like that. We sort of, you know, try some different areas. And if you're just one person doing it, and you're saying, "Well, I I think this video thing would," you know, your idea of of just recording myself do videos of the same, you know, like the benefits of a of a living trust. If if I did that, then I like the idea of videos, and I can do that. I would say, well, then just don't just try one of those and throw it out there and and say, I'm just doing this living trust thing, and it doesn't get traction. And you go, oh, that, that this was a crazy idea. If you say I put out a couple of different things, you know, try try a number of things. Uh, or a number of different videos and then kind of do that. That would be the sort of diversification. I just hate the idea of saying, I'm going to try one product, give it a month, and then say, you know, it just it didn't work. This is a crazy idea. Because um, I, I think that the potential benefit of doing some of these things could be really good, as, especially as you know, lawyers see more and more resistance to raising rates. And also, I think that physically, most lawyers are at the limit on how many hours they can work. Yeah, and I guess I see the difference is that I agree with you that you don't give it a month. You maybe give it more than a month, but I still think that having that one product, I think an, an advantage to that and what I've seen in both law firms and companies is you start with that one guinea pig that then can become the champion. You get other people to see what's going on and they get excited about it. And then you can expand into other groups with other products. I agree that one month and, and a short period of time, whether it's a month or a week or two months or whatever that is, is, is not realistic. I think you need to give it time to get traction in the market. But that would be, I think, my only disagreement. But 
there are other issues I think that the cautious lawyer is probably thinking about listening to this podcast, um, and 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 you address those in your your article as well. But I I, I think I think of them as uh, as obviously ethics issues for lawyers. Um, who owns this? And, you know, there's an intellectual property aspect to that. Uh, what happens if I leave the firm and it was my product? What happens to that? Um, do you want to give any? I would kind of lump them all together, but those are all kind of important issues that lawyers are going to want to think about. Any any thoughts in general on on kind of where they need to to head if they're thinking about creating a product for their firm? Yeah, I think those all of those things are are important. I think the ethics piece. There is a line between giving information and giving legal advice and if you're if you're close to that line you need to be aware of what you need to do and in some cases i don't know what other states missouri's great because you can get informal uh ethics we have an ethics council you can get informal um advice from so uh, if you're in that sort of your state has that sort of thing you can check into some of that stuff otherwise you kind of want to get a good idea of of what it is that you're doing out there uh obviously there's a lot of antagonism in the legal profession and by the bar regulators to things like legal zoom and other things like that so the fact that you're creating products you're you are in an area that's already a, a sensitive area the ownership is is an interesting thing i mean sort of you need to think that through um because it's tricky whether if you're a partner in a firm and whether you're you're doing this, whether you're in the work made for hire category and who owns the actual copyright, uh, it all comes down to partnership agreement. And then when you leave, uh, believe me, this stuff gets tricky, especially if you have a, a successful product that you created yourself and you're leaving. And I can tell you that probably these days most Part, law firm partnership agreements do not cover this stuff. You want to sort it out going in. Uh, so, and that works from from both sides. So, if you're the creator, you I think it's best to kind of get that worked out with your firm while the the product has little bit of value and people think you're crazy because they know more likely let you take it with you or you know give you a, more of it when you leave. If you wait to the end and it's really successful, then it's going to be uh, a lot trickier uh, to determine that. Well, I think that all of that kind of goes to say that um, the, the the concept of creating products in your firm uh, out of the information or the knowledge that you have is not a simple process. It requires a lot of different thought, and it's not something you just kind of go into on a whim. Dennis, um, to take us out of the segment, any any last thoughts to leave people with uh, kind of as a wrap-up? Yeah, I, I mean, I realize this is uh, – I, I present this as a big idea. So it's something to get you thinking and to get lawyers thinking. I think that is – as I said, in, in the other other kind of professions, consulting, uh, accounting, other things like that, people are already doing these things. And it's a certain sense you're repurposing things that you've already done in new ways that are attractive to uh, either consumers or other people interested in what you can provide. I also think it's an opportunity for something we just we didn't really touch on, but that's out there that there's some really cool things you can do in terms of decision trees, other analytical tools that you could sell as a as sort of like screener products that would 
kind of steer people away from giving you like all these routines, simple, commodified, uh, legal questions to kind of help help them navigate certain you know basic things and then to get them to to uh call you for the more important questions so that could you know that can be done as a freemium sort of thing where you do it as free or it could be something that you say oh here's a sort of simple tool about you know import export something like that that i could actually sell to people so don't forget there are some other technologies out there that that you could do, and then I also say that probably the area apps could be could be an interesting one as well. Although I th- I think you can't I don't know how high you can price on apps. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, well, lots of things to think about. Uh, the article is a great one. We'll we'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but thanks for sharing that information with us in this podcast. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom and I are on the ABA Law Practice Division's publishing board. At our last meeting, we noticed that we had a lot of great topic ideas for books without potential authors for them. And we thought we'd talk about writing books on legal technology and on law practice management based on our experience and reach out to our, to our audience to see if you, yes, that's you, might have a book that you'd like to write inside you. Tom, do you want to start with a little background on this topic? Yeah, and, and I think that, um, that the background you really started to give it, Dennis, when you started to talk about um, what we do in the publishing board, um, we're really always looking for authors who can write books for lawyers to help them with the business of the practice of law. We, you know, we talk about technology on this podcast primarily, but, but for our books, we're looking for books on marketing and finance and general management practices as well. And um, I, we're, we're always looking for folks who are willing to write books, but we tend in our group to come up with a lot of great ideas for the books. Um, The board is always coming out with some great topics, but sometimes we have difficulty finding authors. A lot of technology topics, we've got a lot of technology experts in the law practice division, ABA tech show speakers, those types of things. We've got lots of expertise, but there are some topics for which we don't have, you know, the right folks to write books. And so one of the things that I think we wanted to talk about was to you know maybe make a pitch and say is there a book in you whether it's on one of those topics technology marketing finance practice management um, if there's something in that maybe to see if, if one of the things we're going to try to do more is is do a call for authors have people bring their ideas to us and see if those those are books that we'd be interested in publishing um, Dennis kind of do you want to kind of start out and maybe talk a little bit about your experience and in what you've done as far as writing books are concerned. Yeah, I, I think that I, I did want to talk a bit about 
the uh, writing technology books, because I think sometimes people struggle with that idea to say, well, why does it? Why would I write a book on something that's a technology that's that's changing? And I, th- I think what we're able to do with the book is to give people both a sort of a, a resource that's a book that that people are comfortable with, and also give the lawyer perspective. So you can actually write a book. It's really tailored to lawyers and how you use things, and so a lot of people really have a lot of knowledge on on technologies that they they can share. They may do speaking, they may write articles, but they have it, and they might have all kinds of notes and and tricks that they do and things that they've done where they think they're just a sort of normal user, but they're actually not. And and so the whole exercise of putting that together in a book can be really great, and then it turns into a book that you've published that will lead to more speaking and and all of that. And so I, I think that, you know, people sometimes underestimate what it takes to do a book, you know, and also the fact that, you know, the the books I've written, I've done with a co-author. So writing a book yourself is difficult, but you can certainly do it with somebody else who, who you also think is knowledgeable. And then through, uh, especially through the the law practice division, there's a great outlet for doing that publishing. So having a published book is a cool thing. So if it's something that you you think you might want to do, it's it's definitely worth exploring. And I, I did want to follow up on what you're saying, Tom. In a way, we're just making a pitch to our listeners to say, hey, if, if you would like to write a book, let us know. But I think the other thing is that we do have topics that we don't have authors for. And and so if you're thinking, well, I could write a book about something, but I'm not really sure what you guys have in mind, then get in touch with us and we can give you an idea of what those topics might be. And then also where I'm interested in hearing from listeners, what ideas might you have for us to help us solicit authors of books? You know, is it... Should we put uh, topics up and sort of let people bid on them? Is there a better way to get a call for authors out to people rather than just put it on a, on a website? I'm interested in, in uh, hearing from the listeners on that. Um, Tom, your thoughts? Well, I want to hear from listeners also on on potential topics as well. You know, are there topics that we haven't published on that might be useful that that you think that there's a place for that maybe you're not the right author for it, but uh, something that you'd be interested in reading? We'd love to have ideas for more topics, and hopefully that leads us to more authors. Um, or 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 the same way, if you if if you're not comfortable writing on something, but you know somebody who's an expert on a topic, then uh, either pass this podcast cast along to them or let us know who that is and whether we can get in touch with them. Those those types of things. I think that Dennis is right. I think that there's always a concern that you know, technology changes so quickly. Uh, one of the things that I have found is is that uh, we, we talk about this on the podcast all the time. Lawyers are notoriously late adopters of technology. And one of the things that we find about them is that they still tend to buy the paper books regardless of whether they're going to be out of date in a year or not because they like to have that comfort of having that book in their hands that they can sit down and put on their desk and then they can pick up if they need a guide for something. And a lot of our technology books 
have served that purpose as sort of that desk reference that people need to be able to, as they're working through using Microsoft Word or Outlook, being able to go and check and figure something out. And, and I think what really sets our books apart is that we are taking into account how a lawyer would use these tools. Um, so a, a lot of the books talk about ethics issues. A lot of the books talk about specific legal types of topics that uh, you wouldn't find if you go to the bookstore, you go to Amazon, you get a, a Word for Dummies or Outlook for Dummies. You're just not going to get the same kind of content because we've got people who are really thinking about how lawyers think and how lawyers want to use them. So uh, I also was t- talking to Dennis before he did this podcast thinking, you know, I, I don't know how many folks who listen to this podcast have a technology book in them. And that's why I wanted to talk about the others. We, we have lots of uh, books about marketing and finance and management, but we need more. We need, we've got lots of demand from, uh, from people who are trying to run their firms who need help on, on a lot of these different issues. And uh, we sure would love to have your input on what you think would make a good book, whether you or someone else would make a good author. Um, help us improve the program. We're going to put in the show notes a link to the proposal form that you can use or you can send to anybody that you want. But uh, we hope that, uh, that we hear from you. You can always email us or send us a tweet if you have a question or a comment. But uh, don't be shy and, and don't be afraid to, to download that form if you want to take a look uh, and maybe submit a proposal or have somebody that you know submit one. And another way for people to think about it, Tom, is if, if they would just let us know that they'd like to see a book from a certain person on a certain topic. I think that could be really helpful to us too. Yep, definitely. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have been looking for, I'm a great user of the if this, then that tool. But one thing that it doesn't do very well is help me manage tasks that come up in the context of meetings. Uh, When I am doing, uh, primarily, I I use Evernote a lot for my informal meetings. And our publishing board met by phone this week, and I used Evernote to take notes and take minutes of those meetings. And I used Evernote for that, but I don't find that Evernote's a very good to-do manager. I know a lot of people use it for to-dos and tasks, but I need something a little bit more powerful than that. And I use a, a task manager that's on the web. And I've been looking for something that helps me with that and I found a website called Task Clone, T-A-S-K-C-L-O-N-E, um, that connects Evernote to your task manager in a way that's really nice. So this week while I was taking my notes, I would just create a checklist of all the things that were to-dos and I assigned a specific tag to that note in Evernote at the end of the meeting and Task Clone connected to my Evernote account, it would go and search for all the notes that had that tag on it, and it would immediately take all of those and it imported them as tasks in my task manager tool. Um, It was a great way to deal with it. It was automatic. I don't have to worry about it. Now all those tasks are sitting there and I can then assign them to people or assign them to myself and assign due dates to them. Really helpful way to manage tasks through Evernote and your favorite task manager. Um, There's a free version that lets you kind of do things within Evernote. I opted for the, I think it's 12 bucks a year, 
to allow me to connect it to my task manager. I really like it. Definitely worth a, a try. You can try it for free. Task Clone. And mine is, uh, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, and I realized um, that Facebook decided that what I really wanted to have happen when I went to my news feed was all the videos that people had uploaded would just start playing automatically <laughs> so as I scrolled down a page. And that's absolutely not what I, I want, of course. And it was happening on my phone, which presumably was using up my data uh, limits. And it was also on, on just the, the web page on my computer. So on my computer, I went into the settings pretty straightforward. You know, found a thing for videos, turned that off, uh, the autoplay off. But on the, the mobile app, for some reason, it was really difficult to find. And uh, you can go, if you go in there and kind of hack around into your settings and for Facebook, you'll find something eventually in video, and we'll give you three choices. We can leave this autoplay on. You can use it only if you're connected to Wi-Fi, which is important on the, the data usage side. Or you can turn it off, which is what I ended up doing. And then you can just start a video manually, which to me seems like sort of the default way I would like it anyway. So as usual, the great Ask Dave Taylor blog has a nice blog post uh, that helps you turn off that autoplay. So if you just go to, uh, if you look for the Ask Dave Taylor uh, blog, AskDaveTaylor.com, and just do a search on something like Disable Facebook Video Autoplay to Save Bandwidth, and you'll find this great post where he walks you through the instructions on how to do that. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all our previous episodes in both places as well. Uh, if you have a question you want answered or a topic for an upcoming podcast or maybe an idea or an author for an upcoming book, that you'd like to write or have someone else write, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com uh, or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.